0: Well, here at the Vineyard, one of the vital realities in our fellowship is something that we call small groups or life groups or home groups. We call them a lot of different things. And uh, they seem to be firing up, uh, birthing them here recently. And here to tell you about a brand new uh, life group are Eric and Bruce and Stacy. Well, you can clap better than that. Come on.
1: Thanks for remembering us this service. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, like you heard, we're starting a new life group, and uh, Bruce is excited. He wants to tell everybody about it, so I'm going to hand the mic off to him. I'm, I'm Eric, by the way. Bruce, it's Stacy. Hi, everyone. Um, uh, most of you probably don't know us. Uh, we're all fairly new. Oh, new to the church. And uh, Stacy and I—we got married uh, just over a year ago, and that's also when we—thank you. That's also when we came here. And um, since then, we've really felt God put on our hearts to create a place for people like us in our 20s and 30s to come together and have fellowship. Um, and so, there's a card outside in the Life Group board. Uh, For our group, it's called New Roots. It's a play off of the vineyard vines and trees growing roots, establishing those relationships socially and then also spiritually because we are a church and we want to come together as fellow believers to help each other to be there in our joys and in our uh, tragedies just to fulfill what uh, the scripture talks about, a church body being. Um, So all the details of when we're meeting, we're meeting on the second and fourth Thursdays. Of every month. Um, but you look at this card and it has all the information how to contact us and where we're going to meet. Side note I will be in the lobby after service in case anybody has any questions. Okay?
0: Can you guys do that next week at the 9?
1: <laughs> I
0: just totally. Totally forgot about them at the first service, so. No, I wish. I, I'm just so uh, just so blessed by the Holy Spirit this morning. I don't know about all y'all. I, I just told them, you guys got to stop this, because I have to work after they're done, you know? I got to stop coming in here. <laughs> so we're just going to take a minute for me to sober up. (laughs) You know, uh, every Sunday morning, I like to go out, walk around the outside of the property and ask God what he wants to do. And in particular, on the days that we have communion, I, I like to ask the Lord, how can we come to your tables today so that it'll be fresh? And new, and I won't ever just become old religious, check off the box communion day. You know, I don't ever want that to happen. And so this morning I was out there. I just went out to walk the six tenths of a mile trail around our property that we like to call the wall. I, I tend to start at the same place right there in front of the hiding place. You know, if you don't know what the hiding place is, we have a little, look across our field, there's a little white building there it's very small it's the size of a small bedroom and um, we call it the hiding place it's a place where you can go and hide and and just pray and uh, it's just a place to go and pray and I've been out there thousands of times in the last 15 years that we've been in this building and uh, this morning I was just starting to walk out toward there and I you know Lord how can we approach your tables this morning and the most remarkable thing happened I I I went out there and as I just got up to like where the path makes a walk up to the, the short little walk from here to the front row up to the hiding place I saw these flowers and there were these flowers that were on the on the ground in front of it and they, I don't, I don't know a gladiola from a hibiscus so I just um, there they look like this I don't know somebody probably knows what they're called but they were scattered all over the place. These flowers. And they were in front of it, the hiding place, and they were equally on each side of it, and they were in the back of it. These flowers just scattered everywhere, right there, just, just on the hiding place. Just on the hiding, I mean, nowhere else on the wall was there a flower, except for these hundreds of flowers that were on the ground and on the roof of the hiding place. I know! And so I I looked up, and there centrally right behind the hiding place is a big tree that's, that's probably been there for the 15 years that we've been here. And it is full of these flowers, just like this. And it decided yesterday, last night, I suppose, to release them and rain down just on the hiding place, but as though somebody intentionally made a circle around the It's not like more on one side or the other. You need to go out there after church and look at this. It's phenomenal. Just these, these flowers everywhere. And so I did the... Yes, Lord? <laughs> what do the flowers mean? And the Lord spoke to my heart and He said that He's raining down these flowers on the hiding place as He rains down His righteousness on His people. He just rains down His righteousness on His people. That He covers us even in our sin. He covers us with His righteousness. It was especially stunning for me because I got a couple of things going on in my life that I'm just really not happy with. And, you know, there's sin and I just keep saying, Lord, when when are you going to release me? When can I be free of these couple of things and And I am so disappointed in myself, you probably never have this, that sometimes it kind of threatens to shake the confidence of my relationship with God. Somebody knows. And the Lord just spoke to me as these flowers were there and I just got this imagery of being covered in His flowers. And I had this picture from the Lord of Like I'm standing there, but you can't see me because I'm completely covered in His flowers, His righteousness. And the Word of the Lord came to me and said, you know, no matter how many of these things you conquer, you're never going to be done. You're always going to need my righteousness. And you need my righteousness today as much as when you were the pot-smoking, foul-mouthed teenager that found his way to me. And so, as I just pressed in on that, you know, the Lord just spoke to my heart that as we approach the tables today, it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that comes from His broken body and shed blood. The robe of righteousness is what He puts on us when we come to His tables by faith in the name of His one and only Son. So when you come today, you're going to be going home with new clothes on. I got one more word from the Lord out of this that I think is important for somebody. Because I, at one point in the conversation, I kind of argued back, you know, Lord, you're the flowers, your righteousness is so valuable, so precious. That I said, don't waste it on me. You've probably never done that. Don't waste it on me. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I can pour out all righteousness on you and it will not take away from what I have to give to the rest of the world. So we dare not argue with the Lord and say, well, that guy deserves it more than me. It's by the grace of God, not by our works, not by our performance, not by our mastery of the things that gets us saved, but it's by the grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. As we come to the tables today, I want you to know that the flowers are on there for a reason. And that that's what I believe the Lord's offering you at the tables today. is His robe of righteousness in, in spite of your sin. So if you're a person here today and you say, well, am I allowed to come to your tables like I'm not a member here or whatever? We don't roll that way here. If you are a person who's sitting there saying, I need the righteousness of Jesus Christ to cover my sin, then you're welcome at these tables and so in just a minute the offering baskets will pass you by and once they do I want you to get up from where you are and either go to the front two or there's two in the back and retrieve the elements and come back and just sit and wait and just let the righteousness of God just come over you just let him change your clothes and then I'll come back and we'll We'll take it all together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the righteousness of Christ in our lives. And we're so grateful that that's enough. And So we come to you now in this time of not only rendering our offering to you, Lord, but in receiving somehow strangely your offering to us the offering of your robe of righteousness, the offering of your own body on the cross for our sakes. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, "This is my body, take and eat." He took the cup and he said, "This is the cup of the new covenant." For the forgiveness of your sins, as often as you drink of it, just do in remembrance of me, King Jesus. So I want you to think back and remember. <laughs> this is partly your fault, Tom. Um, I want you to remember back if you can to a time when you were little and you you couldn't tie your own shoes. Yeah, I mean you were not able to tie your own shoes, right? You knew that shoes were tied, but you didn't know how to do it. You were just a little person and you at some point figured out how to get your foot into the shoe and But you didn't know what to do next. You really had to rely completely, totally on somebody else to tie your shoe. And you watched them tie it, but it all seemed so complicated, didn't it? It was like origami there. And then then mom double knots it just so she wouldn't have to tie it again. The best you could do with your life was to get your shoe on and then say, Mom! Am I right? I mean, Tom was like nine before he learned how to tie his shoes. Now he doesn't even wear shoes. (laughs) But you were unable to do that thing for yourself. You had to completely rely on somebody else to do it for you. Hold on to that thought while you turn in your Bibles to the book of Lamentations. This is stop number 22 on our Through the Bible series as we're looking at one book a week. And starting with the context of the book of Lamentations, what's going on in this oddly named book, It was written, first of all, by the prophet Jeremiah of of the books of the Bible. There's very strong evidence in the Bible itself that this is true, that Jeremiah was actually the author of this book. It has internal evidence that would say it was written by the weeping prophet. It certainly sounds similar to his prophecies, and uh, also some of the earliest manuscripts show this, and... Also, the earliest parts of church tradition, and the church fathers attributed this to Jeremiah. I think we're going to have a lot of confidence that, that Jeremiah wrote this book. It, it, was, uh, it was his second book. Of course, last week we looked at the prof- prophecy called Jeremiah, and uh, that was his first book. There we go. Okay. Uh, the second part of the context is that Jerusalem has fallen. This is terrible. Jerusalem has fallen. The, the name of the book itself implies that something terrible has happened, right? Lamentations, that there's a, there's a lament. Well, we've been looking at these other prophets who were warning that the Babylonians were going to come and overtake Jerusalem, right? And this has actually happened now. So we can, we can see that in chapter 1, verse 1 of Lamentations, where it says, How deserted lies the city. Once so full of people, how like a widow she is who once, who once was great among the nations. This is hard. The date of this is around 586 then because that's when Jerusalem fell historically. I think one of the things that you want to try to embrace to understand the context of, of what caused Jeremiah to be in such a state of lament was how much was lost. When Jerusalem fell, it wasn't just the freedom of that generation, but it was seemingly the promise of freedom for the generations after them. But think about how much was lost when they were conquered. I mean, go way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were called out of the land of Chaldeans to come and be the people of God. Think about 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Think about how God raised up Moses preserved him from an infanticide that was going through Egypt just to lead the people out of Egyptian slavery. Think about all that happened in this time period. Think that King David rose up. He killed Goliath. All these things that happened. There was Solomon and there were all these kings before the fall of Jerusalem. All of this was lost when they were conquered. You know, when a nation falls, it's just not about the moment of the nation, but it's about, it's about the blood of people who fought for that nation. lost and this shows us that Jerusalem who once was strong was overtaken and we need to understand that there is no country that is immune from being conquered there is no country that is immune from being conquered we sit in a very strange age today don't we we must not think that we are immune from being conquered Our national security is built on two things, our money and our military. And it is not built on a trust in Almighty God. It is built on our money and our military. And as our economy begins to shake, so our security begins to shake. Our military at its core is built, the the fundamental strength of our military is built on the fact that we are a superpower who believes that we have more nuclear weaponry than anybody else. That our intelligence tells us that we are 10 to 1 the number of nuclear warheads stored in missile silos ready to go. What kind of a security is that? It's built on two doctrines. First strike capability, that if we launched all of ours at once we could neutralize everybody else. And it's based on a second doctrine called mutually assured destruction. Don't worry, if they launch first, we'll let all of ours go and we'll all be gone. At least it'll be a draw. The world will be gone. What kind of, what kind of security is that? Jerusalem, that was once strong, a superpower in the nation, gave away their strength by doing what? By not paying attention to their military? No, by not repenting and turning back to God. This is the context. This is why Jeremiah, if you've read this book, is is in such turmoil. Jeremiah's life is nearing its end. A substantial portion of the book of Lamentations is Jeremiah lamenting about his life. Chapter 3, verse 1, I am... The man who has seen affliction by the rod of God's wrath, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. And Jeremiah seems to be repent- or lamenting not that his life had been so hard, and it was hard as we saw last week in the study of Jeremiah. It was a hard life. that He, he was opposed, he was accused, he was beaten, he was imprisoned. He was threatened with death all day long. But this isn't what he laments about in this book. What he laments about is that he spent his whole life doing that, and the people didn't repent. They didn't respond. It doesn't seem as though he, he cares that his life was lived that way. It's just that there was no visible product of living that way. And so he laments his own life here. And this is in spite of the fact that after the fall of Jerusalem, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar ordered that Jeremiah be treated with kindness and respect. In other words, his life resulted in prosperity and comfort. But he says, I didn't care about that. I didn't live my life for prosperity and comfort. I lived my life to declare the righteousness of God, and nobody paid any attention. So the book of Lamentations is rightly named. It's, it's travail over the fall of Jerusalem and over what he considers to be the uselessness of his own life. And it's bad, but then something happens. Something happens in our hot spot today and right as a hinge point right in the middle of the book. And Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 21. So he's going on about how bad this is, and he said, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is bad. Jerusalem's down. My life's a waste. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Verse 22, Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So he's saying in the midst of all of this, I find hope in the fact that no matter how things look for Israel, no matter how things look in my own life, I know this, that God is full of love toward me. And his love never fails. His faithfulness is never failing. And even though the circumstances seem so terrible that I know in the midst of them, God is fully loving me. It's a big difference. It's a big shift in the literature that he says this right in the middle. That God just loves us, he said. This is what consoles me, he says. In spite of the way things look, this is what consoles me that God truly loves me. As I was pondering this this week, I was thinking that, you know, if God had a weakness, and God has no weakness, but if God had a weakness, it would be us. We are God's M and M's. It's us. In his righteousness, he could have, maybe should have, destroyed us. Because if we're good at one thing, it's showing that we are consistently showing up for sin. But he's hooked on us. He said, in all of this, I find hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. If God had a weakness, it would be us. This this speaks, I think, in advance to something that Jesus did for us on the cross. It really speaks in advance of something in the church we call the substitutionary atonement. That an atonement was made for our sins, a payment was made for our sins and that it was substitutionary, and that Jesus Christ was our substitute. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus Christ did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. It's not that we wouldn't if we could, but we can't. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross, his perfect blood shed for the, the payments of our lives. And he took our place, so it's substitutionary. He is our substitute. That if we if we would... If we would be crucified on a cross, it would be to no avail because our blood, doesn't, our blood doesn't pay for our sins. We couldn't even die for ourselves, let alone the sins of anybody we love. But Jesus took our place. The Bible says in Isaiah, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone, it says it's universal, we've turned everyone to his own way, but it says, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He put the iniquity that was ours on, the, on Jesus. And so it's a substitutionary atonement, but it's a full payment. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Jesus did this for us. It was a demonstration of the love that God has for us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated His love for us in this. He showed us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the place on the cross. And the power of the substitutionary atonement cannot really be overstated because Jesus took the full payment, therefore I am fully saved in spite of the ongoing condition in my life. And I see Christians making this huge mistake that they think that coming to Christ, they get like a do-over. It's like you come to Christ, he forgives you of your sin. There, now you can begin living perfectly. Now you can begin living perfectly. You know, it's like, okay, we're good up to now because you didn't know. But now that you're forgiven, I'm expecting perfection from here on out. And that lasts about ten minutes. Am I right? We have an we have the same ongoing need for the sacrifice of Christ and the power of the substitutionary atonement. In this, I'll have hope that Jesus Christ died, demonstrated His love for us. The power of the substitutionary atonement is in the fact that it's done. And I see Christians trying to have it both ways. Yeah, I'm believing in Jesus, but I'm I'm getting it going on pretty good here myself. As though we're going to present our better lives to God as a substitute for what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You you hear what I'm saying? We can't have it both ways. Either we have full confidence in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, or we don't. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a life to be lived. Of course there is. I'm not saying that there's not a life to be lived that we aspire to because of Christ in our lives. But I'm saying that even if we get good at it, it doesn't make us more saved. Because it's all about Jesus. I want to get good at it, don't you? I want to stop being this version of myself, don't you? Of course. And by the grace of God, I am a different, I think, I hope, better version of myself than when I started I've told you before. I haven't smoked weed in like a month. Guess, just kidding. If you're new here, it's what I do. Sorry. You know what I'm saying, right? I mean, it's been a—it's been six months. I mean, at least it's been. Listen, I'm a—I'm a better different version of the person who started walking with Jesus, but I still need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as much today as I did then. And it's still there for me. It's still there for you. This is the power of the substitutionary atonement, which is meant to set us free. In Galatians 5, the Bible says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, which means start following the law again, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Jesus did the cross to set us free. And free from the law. And I just need to tell you that there will always be people in our lives who by their own misunderstanding of the grace of God, try to draw us back into legalism. They're, they're everywhere. And they sound good sometimes, don't they? Sound like, yeah, you're right. I, I, should. I want you to live a better life. I do. I want, but I want you to live it because you're saved, not trying to get yourself saved. I want you to live it because the Word of God dwells in you richly, because the Spirit of God has been invited to indwell you. That's, that's what creates, produces the better life. Don't be tricked by legalists who begin giving you lists of if you were really saved. There's no really saved. We're either saved or we're not saved. We either come into, into relationship with God by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and His finished work in the cross, or we haven't. You're saved for freedom. But you're not free until you let Jesus do all of that work. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he uttered the three most powerful words ever spoken. What were those three words? It is finished, it's done. Your sin's canceled. The threat of death is over. It's finished. Some people say that the three most powerful words that can be uttered are "I love you." Very powerful words. But Jesus took it a step further, and the Bible says that He demonstrated that He loved loved us. He showed us by taking our place on the cross and saying it this way: "It is finished. It's done." You're saved by the grace of God. you shed blood. You're saved. You can't get more saved. You can be more filled, but you can't get more saved. And you've got to let Jesus Christ do that for you. You've got to come and leave it at the cross. That's a powerful theme in our Iron Man camp out this weekend. Just leaving it at the cross guys, letting Jesus do it for you. You know, there was a day when you couldn't tie your own shoes. You had to completely rely on somebody else to tie your shoes, or the shoe wasn't getting tied, was it? You might have wanted to. I'd like to be able to do that. But you couldn't. You were incapable. Remember when you used to pretend to tie your shoes? It all went like... You had to completely rely on, Mom, somebody to tie our shoes. So it is with Jesus, but maybe you're saying, Yeah, but I learned. I can tie my shoes now. I'm glad for that. It's good. So isn't that what it means? Is to let Jesus forgive you and then you just grow up into being able to walk it out perfectly? I don't have to let him do that for me anymore? Well, here's the other side of that coin. If you live long enough, somebody's going to be tying your shoes for you again. If you do this right, You're going to make it to a place where you can't do that for yourself anymore. I can't imagine what that place is going to be like for me when I have to say, Karen, or one of my kids, can you come tie my shoes? It's how you come in. It's how you go out. Fully depending on somebody else. It's how we come into the faith. It's how we go out. And it's how we remain in between the full confidence of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. So some of you are lamenting your sin today. You're you're in lamentations. I just am so bad at all of this. That's, That's a great start. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Reset every day. More often if you need it. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I'll wait for Him. I don't know what you want to do right now, but Lamentations is speaking to you. The Word of God is speaking to you and stirring something in your heart. Maybe you're here today and you go, you know, I've never I've never made that crossing. I've never asked Jesus Christ into my heart to be my provision, to be my Savior. I've never really released my faith into the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross, and I'm ready to do that. Well, we're ready to help you do that. Maybe you're a person here who just needs to get out of the cycle of sin awareness in your life so that you can become Christ-aware in your life and you can begin to rise up above it. Who knows? Maybe you're a person who has something going on in your life and you need to be set free from that or you need a healing in your body or something and you want to lay claim to that, that by his stripes we are healed. By the stripes of Jesus, the flowing blood of Jesus. Well, I just want to tell you that we are here for you and to help you. That's what we do. We don't come to church, we are the church. So Father, we invite you to come now and Holy Spirit, you are still welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are more than welcome here. You are desperately needed here. Holy Spirit, this is the Church of Jesus Christ. This is the Church of God. This is the ch- this is your house. This is your people. And so Lord, I pray that you'll feel unhindered in everything that you want to do in our lives now. I pray that you'll create stirring inside of people that will help them, that will cause them to to yearn for you and desire you. I pray that you'll create that right now. I pray that you'll create an atmosphere of your spirit that comes for healing, and blessing, and connection. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. The blood of Jesus Christ Wash away our sin. Give us confidence to live as blood-washed believers. Come Holy Spirit. Church, will you please stand with me and could we ask some of our prayer team people to come on up to your places along the sides and make yourselves ready to pray for people. If you're a person here today who'd like to receive prayer from another believer who's been trained pray with you, then we'd love to have you just come on up. It could be for any reason, something I've said or something I haven't said, but I encourage you to come on up as we worship the Lord.